inside of a town written to. I made it over the great divide, and now I'm coming for you. Enemies and adversaries, they try and tear me down. You want me, baby, I dare you. Try and tear me down. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, January 18th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm the theater throwback's Daniela Parcell. Uh, at the end of this episode, we will have, I think, James, right, a small clip of our interview with the fantastic uh, and super busy Tony winner, Lena Hall. The full episode is going to air on Sunday on This Week on Broadway because it is a full interview. But, James, I think you're going to throw a little clip of that uh, in at the end of this episode, correct? Yes, uh, we'll throw uh, five minutes or so at the end of this episode so you can listen to some of our conversation with Lena and then tune in on This Week on Broadway on Sunday for the rest of it, about 30 minutes or so. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a lot of fun talking to her. She's got some so much going on, and we've talked about a lot of it here. Um, so definitely tune into that. That means the rest of today's show is going to be a little shorter, a little condensed. Um, so uh, so we'll get you straight into that interview uh, as quickly as we can. First up in the news, Pretty Women will reportedly attempt a feminist reinvention. Yeah, this one uh, has drawn some discussion online as people are <laughs> raising their eyebrows about how successful this could actually be. But it all started because on what would that be uh, Tuesday night? I'm trying to get the days right here. Um, Tuesday night, the New York Post, Michael Riedel reported that the creative team behind the musical has been consciously making changes to the 1990 film's structure and characters to update it for more modern sensibilities. Apparently, this all started with the film's director, and he was also the original co-book writer of the musical, Gary Marshall. This was something that he thought was necessary from the very inkling of bringing it to the stage. But he passed away about a year and a half ago. Uh, and the rest of the creative team has carried on with his vision ever since. The goal is to make the Julia Roberts prostitute with the Heart of Gold character Vivian, played by Samantha Barks, more independent and and like the vision of a modern feminist woman we've been talking so much about in our popular culture and consciousness today. One of the major changes towards that goal uh, will be very evident early on is that even before Vivian meets Edward, the Richard Gere character played on stage by Tony winner Steve Kazee, she decides to give up the oldest profession rather than after he quote unquote rescues her in the film. In addition uh, to the original screenwriter, J.F. Lawton, who is finishing the book on his own, and the songwriters Brian Adams and Jim Valance, one of the people most important in this change, apparently, is a Hollywood producer named Paula Wagner. According to Riedel's source, Wagner has emphasized that it can't just be a story about a man rescuing a woman. She has to rescue him as well. In fact, the production is apparently taking its cue from a bit of dialogue at the end of the film in which Edward says, quote, so what happens after he climbed the tower and rescues her? And then Vivian replies, she rescues him back. Apparently that is kind of the uh, the thought about how they're kind of reinventing this. So there will be more in the musical about how Vivian saves Edward from being just a completely narcissistic, capitalistic, obsessed um, a-hole. So uh, that's kind of how they're kind of bridging the gap a little bit. There will apparently also be changes to the scene where Edward's colleague, 
forces himself on Vivian to make it quite clear um, with no ifs, ands, or buts about it that Vivian can take care of herself. I am already in pain imagining what Riedel could have meant by that hint. Um, you know, I think rightfully so. Many people online are apprehensive about how this show will translate on stage. And and for some context, Riedel also muses in the article about how the revivals of My Fair Lady and Carousel will deal with somewhat similar issues this spring as well. But I saw a lot of people yesterday online saying things like, there's definitely a story to be told about balancing feminism and sex work, but I just don't know if Pretty Woman is the show to tell that story. And I get their point. The property is so well known and it you know, will take more than subtle tonal changes to make that work, especially when it comes in the packaging of a musical comedy directed by Jerry Mitchell, which will obviously have probably a lot of dancing in it. Um, so it's not going to be an easy change. However, I, I, for one, am excited about this and hope they figure it out. But Daniela, as the only woman on the podcast right now, I will defer to you. Um, what do you think about this whole thing, you know, about the efforts to put a feminist perspective on Pretty Woman of all things? Yeah, so I've never actually seen the movie. Um, I just okay, know the basic premise. <laughs> um, and it feels honestly like a sort of cringy story. Um, so I appreciate the attempt to bring out any kind of feminist themes and make it a better story to tell. Um, in reading the article, uh, I would much rather them make these changes than leave them to sure. how I'm imagining they were in the movie. Um, but kind of like you mentioned, I think that at its surface, it's not really a feminist story. Um, there's a sto- There could be a story told about feminism and prostitution, but this really just isn't it. Um, so I think any changes they make will be positive, but I don't think we're going to get like the feminist socially conscious musical that maybe we all want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't going to be like a glorious Steinem, uh, helmed production or anything like that. Likely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want the Dixie chicks to write something. Oh, don't tease me. I would love a Dixie chicks I would musical. Lo- I love the Dixie chicks. Oh my God. I love oh, I do too. Natalie great. Maines is incredible. Oh, she is. I, um, you ever see that documentary on the Dixie Chicks after they're uh, not ready to bake mm-hmm. nice? That's a, yep. quite a documentary. Yep. Just that alone could yeah. be a play or a musical. Sure. Um, Paula Wagner. I hadn't read this story. You know who Paula Wagner is? She's Tom Cruise's partner, a producing partner. Oh, um, yeah. One of the one of the things in the article that Riedel mentions is that she produces the Mission Impossible films. So that makes sense. Yeah. And she ran the studio and things like that. So I... She, you know, let's throw throw the whole pretty woman thing out and let's do the Paula Wagner story. She's got a very interesting life story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's one of the most powerful people. Forget most powerful. I hate when they do, you know, Oprah's the most powerful <laughs> woman in America. Or You know, Paula Wagner and Oprah are the most powerful people, period. Not just women. <laughs> Not just women. Yeah. And, but Paula Wagner is great. And to see Paula Wagner getting involved with the Broadway production is really exciting. I think we totally buried the lead here. So, Sorry. Uh, no, that's Re- Riedel. Blame it on Riedel. Yeah, blame it on Riedel. Blame it on Riedel. I mean, should be shouting from the uh, hilltops that um, – that Paula Wagner's here. Oh, here's another great woman. Felicia Rashad I know. is uh, to direct Our Lady of 121st Street for Signature. 
Yeah, seriously, talking about powerful women. Yesterday, Off-Broadway's Signature Theater announced that Tony winner Felicia Rashad will replace Ann Kaufman as the director of the company's upcoming production of Stephen Adley Girgis's Our Lady of, the, of 121st Street, of 121st Street. Kaufman had to depart the production due to scheduling conflicts, which, as busy as she is, that's not a surprise, but it doesn't seem to me like you could have found a better replacement than Felicia Rashad. The production is scheduled to begin performances on May 1st and run through June 10th at the Pershing Square Signature Center. Tickets will go on sale on March 29th, and the cast and creative team will be announced soon. Daniela, I hesitate to even ask if you know who Felicia Rashad is. Nope. Mm. <laughs> Millennials. I know, I'm such a disappointment. <laughs> she's, she's, Debbie, she's Debbie Allen's sister. Okay. Condola Rashad's mother? No? Okay, uh, okay. Okay. Right. Ahmad That's Rashad's ex wife? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Peter Felicia has a great story about meeting Felicia Rashad. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should have had Peter Felicia on this episode to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll mention it on Sunday. <laughs> All right. Uh, news about two upcoming and free Broadway events. Yeah, two events, one very cool, the other that is incredibly sweet and a wonderful cause, but that I would never in a million years participate in unless you gave me like seven or eight figures. Um, the not creepy one is that uh, – <laughs> we'll get to the creepy one. But the not creepy one is that as La Mama will continue its season-long celebration of the life and work of the late Sam Shepard, they will be presenting Weekend with Sam – two days of readings and excerpts from Shepard's plays, prose, and poetry. Directed by, collectively, Neil LeBute, uh, Lois Weaver, Scott Whitman, and, and Joel Zwick, these free readings, free, will be open to the public on February 3rd and 4th, and they will have a pretty impressive lineup of stars, especially Saturday, no offense to the people on Sunday. But Saturday will feature Matthew Broderick, John Slattery, the wonderful and absolutely underappreciated J. Smith Cameron, Aaron Markey, Phil Burke, and Monk Hopper. Sunday will feature Peggy Shaw, Harry Mann, Zach Siegel, Fred Weller, and Gia Crovaton. As this will be a hot ticket, especially since it's going to be free, you can begin making reservations this coming Monday at www.lamama.org. And of course, if that URL is too difficult for you to remember, we will have it in the show notes. Now... On to the free event that I applaud. Uh, I applaud everyone who's going to be participating in it, but I would never join. Apparently, this Sunday is going to be Big Hug Day, and apparently Broadway is participating. At noon on the Red Steps in Times Square, Broadway Girl NYC Laura Haywood will be leading a giant group hug, <clears throat> joined by Broadway World, I guess. Thankfully, that's... <laughs> Participation is not a job requirement. Um, I'm sorry, well I could only hold it together for a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, not not going to happen. Um, I've not gotten the plane uh, reservations from Rob Diamond for me to be a part of this, thankfully. Um, but the Times Square Alliance is going to be involved and numerous members of the Broadway community. Um, simultaneous big hug events will be occurring around the world on Sunday in Brazil, Canada, Denmark, Dubai, Germany, Greece, Guatemala, India, Latvia, uh, Nicaragua, Peru, South Africa, Spain, the UK, and Vietnam. And apparently in Israel, Palestinian and Jewish children are coming together for a group hug. These are all things we can get behind. 
also through a Prizio campaign. Big Hug Day is also raising funds for children's hospitals across the country. You can get more info and contribute at prizio.com slash big hug. Again, that URL will be in the notes. Now, of course, I'm all for charity events. I'm all for people being uh, as affectionate to whatever level they are comfortable with, as long as it doesn't require parents to cover their children's eyes. But you would have to come up with some serious cash to get me to get in a giant group hug with a bunch of strangers. Just not gonna. Uh, so I, I have questions here. So, uh, okay. Daniela, Matt, have you ever been to the Red Steps uh, in Times Square uh, by TKTS? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you can go there any time of day and night and there's free hugs. Yeah, not doing it. Not, <laughs> I not mean, I, I don't know if this is such a special event, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's always some creepy dude with a free hug sign. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just, and, no. And like you can happen. get hugged by Elmo, you get a right, hugged by saying. Elsa, Mustafa. It's not you without you asking. Yeah, even yeah. without, it's not Elmo, it's, it's Elmo, and it's not Olaf, it's Olaf, because they're <laughs> just slightly knockoff generic versions. Yeah, and Harvey Weinstein. Oh, stop. Move on. No, no. <laughs> Let's not talk about the naked cowboy either. Oh, the naked. Ooh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, keeping with our theme here of uh, talented, powerful women, Sarah Brillis and Jason Mraz duet for the first curtain call. Yes, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, as we've talked about multiple times on uh, this week on Broadway this week, Sarah Bareilles rejoined the Broadway company of her hit musical Waitress. And uh, to celebrate the event, and of course, Jason Mraz has extended his run as Dr. Pomodor to be with his uh, friend in the show even longer, they decided to live stream that first curtain call. And during that live stream, Bareilles and Mraz did a duet of Bad Idea, and it was streamed uh, across the world, and we have the video in the show notes. Um, I have not seen Waitress yet. The tour with Desi Oakley is coming here to Orlando later this spring, so I'm very much looking forward to it. But I still watching these two, and they're not really doing the full, you know, staging or anything like that. But just watching these two interact and hear their voices, like I got goosebumps watching it. It was very, very cool, even for someone like me who hasn't seen the show. We're really, I mean, I've listened to the music, I hear the songs on Sirius XM or whatever, but I don't know the songs super well. Um, but it was really, uh, it, it was really good. Like I was super impressed, got chills. And, uh, so if you haven't seen that or heard that yet, it will be in the show notes. So definitely check that out. It, uh, in my opinion, it sold, it, it sold tickets. If people see that it will sell tickets just on the strength of itself. Okay. Now, Daniela, do you have a theater throwback for us? I do. Uh, So today I have a couple of stories. They all revolve around January 18th, 1998, which was the opening night of Ragtime on Broadway. Ragtime is based on the 1975. (laughs) It's based on the 1975 novel of the same name by E.L. Doctorow with a book by Terrence McNally, music by Stephen Flaherty and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens. The music follows three groups of people in 20th century America, a Jewish immigrant man and his daughter, an African-American family and a wealthy white family as their lives intertwine at the turn of the century. 
The opening night cast included such stars as Brian Stokes Mitchell, Marin Maisie, Peter Friedman, and Audra McDonald, who won her third Tony for her performance. And speaking of Tonys, despite the mixed reviews that it received, the show did lead the 1998 Tony Awards with a total of 13 nominations. The writers took home awards for their book and score, but unfortunately for them, The Lion King also opened that season, so that took the Best Musical Award. The production was fairly popular, so it continued to run, but in the middle of the run, Livent, which was its lead producing company, filed for bankruptcy, claiming a $334 million debt. Um, the company's founders, Garth Drabinsky and Myron Gottlieb, were then charged with 16 counts of fraud and conspiracy. So obviously there was some sketchy stuff going on there that didn't help out the show's run. Um, the company was bought by SFX Entertainment in 1999, but they eventually realized that the show was just too expensive to run. This was a really big and extra extravagant production with a huge cast, so they were forced to post a closing notice. On January 16, 2000, at the turn of the 21st century, Ragtime played its final performance. The musical was revived in 2009, but it only ran for a few months. And around uh, the same time as that revival, Garth Rubinsky came back into the spotlight. He was finally found guilty of fraud in Canada and was sentenced to seven years in prison. Uh, he's, rag <laughs> he's out now. He's out now, by the way, if you yeah. people forgotten. He Susaska. produced the show Suzatska mm -hmm. uh, last year that was supposed to come to Broadway. It was not a good show, so it is not coming to Broadway. <laughs> Yeah. So Ragtime was also their first show to run at the Ford Center for the Performing Arts. The theater was built on the site of two much older theaters, the Apollo and the Lyric. Not today's Lyric, but we'll get to that later. The Apollo had opened in 1910 and went back and forth between housing movies, live theater, and eventually rock concerts until the early 90s. The Lyric had opened in 1903, but by the 30s it had turned into a full-time movie house. In 1996, construction began to basically tear apart the Apollo and the Lyric and build a much larger Broadway house in their place. They didn't just simply demolish and trash them, though. Instead, they preserved bits and pieces from both theaters and incorporated them into the new Ford Center. As I mentioned, the Ford Center officially opened in January 1998 with Ragtime. It was later renamed the Hilton Theater and then briefly the Foxwoods for its run of Spider-Man. And now it currently stands as the Lyric once again. And of course, that will soon be home to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I was at the Lyric last night while I was right next door at the American Airlines Theater uh, on the 42nd Street side of the Lyric. And it's a mess. It's like got no marquee up. It looks all <laughs> run down and broken. It looks like it's closed. I I'm so angry that they're not uh, doing something there. I mean, obviously, they don't have to put up a Harry Potter marquee just yet, although they could. They, but it, it really, it's very disappointing that they're not keeping that up. I think what they're doing is they are moving the 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 front door. I think they're going to do like one of those big entrances, like they did in London for Cursed Child. So I think it's not actually going to be the main entrance as we know it. I could be completely speaking Are they out moving of term, it over to 43rd Street? I or? believe they are. I believe because they are. Because there's an entrance on 43rd Street. Maybe they're just not going to use the 42nd Street entrance, but it's I got believe a that's the case. It's got a marquee that the glass is removed from it. You could see the fluorescent bulbs behind it and things. It just looks like it's abandoned. It's, I don't know, maybe... Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's just the weather. <laughs> Maybe uh -huh. it's just that uh, 
that show that I saw that I didn't like. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll talk about that on uh, we'll on talk Sunday. About that on Sunday, yeah. All right, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Well, before we get to the Lena Hall interview, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at PWW Matt and subscribe to Sound Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play. Daniela, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcel and on Instagram at Daniela Parcel OL. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending Thursday with us. Um, don't forget that right after we sign off here, we're going to have a few minutes of our conversation with Lena Hall. And then on today, on this week on Broadway, on Sunday, we'll have the full 30-minute interview. We'll talk to you soon. I rose from off of the doctor's slab Like Lazarus from the pit Now everyone wanna take a stab And decorate me with blood, graffiti, and spit Enemies and adversaries They try and tear me With down. us today, we have a very special guest Lena Hall is joining us by telephone uh, Broadway fans know Lena from uh, those little shows like Cats, 42nd Street, Dracula, <laughs> Tarzan, Dracula, Tarzan, Kinky Boots, and Hedvig, the Angry Inch, of course. So, Lena, thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, you have uh, a new series called Obsessed. Why don't you tell us what? What do you want us to know about Obsessed? Um, uh, well, Obsessed is uh, basically, it's a, it's a music series where at the beginning of every month, I release an album dedicated to one singular artist who I have been obsessed with at one point in my life, um, either an artist or a band. And uh, I do, uh, they're EPs, so either there's, there's either five, uh, four or five songs on each EP, depending on how many weeks are in the month. And um, each week I release a video that goes with one of the songs on that album. So it's basically it's a year-long project, 12 albums um, and a video every single week. Uh, to launch the series, we launched it with Hedwig. And uh, uh, basically like um, all the songs are pretty pared down so you know they're very acoustic um uh not a ton of instruments it's all just to highlight the the artists the way they use their vernacular the way they write lyrics and then also the chord progressions and how beautifully they wrote these songs or performed these songs really and made them famous I love where I am right now. It's it's like there's so much going on in my life and, and really amazing things. And and what's so great about it is that there's not one single day I don't wake up in the morning where I am upset at anything. You know, I wake up every morning. I'm so happy. I wake up early in the morning. I'm happy to be alive and I'm grateful for everything that's going on in my life. I'm grateful for my past and all I've learned. You know, it's like this big sense of uh, gratitude to the to the world has just kind of come over me. Yeah, 
you talking about how happy you are and, and how focused you are, I would imagine you would have to be very focused to do everything that you're doing. We've talked about Obsessed. We talked about Snowpiercer. But I, I'm not sure. It, you know, it, it kind of seems like right now the biggest thing that's about to explode for you is this movie Bex. This seems like this is something that is just another thing that you add on to the albums and the TV show that it's just kind of like your career is blowing up in so many different other ways. Yeah, this is this is the perfect scenario for me. I mean, when I got this script, I didn't think much of it, but watching the film, I've I've watched the film now five times in theaters, <laughs> and uh, and every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my god, I was living that life. You know, it's interesting to. It didn't really click when we were filming, but um, you know, I'm I'm a there's there's an undertone of, of, um, alcoholism in the film. And, uh, my character is basically fighting with that, uh, family disease. And, uh, and, um, and that was something that like looking back on, I'm like, Oh, I was fighting through that same thing. There's a, there's an interesting thing where it's like life imitating art, you know, or art imitating life. But, um, you know, for me, there's always these these parallels that I don't see it in the moment um, until after I'm out of the project. Then I'll see parallels like I never saw parallels between me and Yitzhak, you know, like, why would I? <laughs> and then when I when I left when I left the show and I looked back on it, um, I was like, oh, there's me- there were many parallels happening at the same time with that character and in my life. So what's interesting is Bex was definitely like a parallel to my own life um, that I was kind of fighting.